Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. Here are your hosts, Cockroft and Carabelle. I have nothing that rhymes with that. Da, 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 da. Very nice, Tristan. That is uh, Fantasy Focus Baseball's opening for Monday. May the 4th be with you. Tristan trying to sing a Star Wars-themed May opening. May the 4th be with you. Uh, he's a little strange. Uh, that's Tristan H. Cockroft, winner of Myriad Fantasy Leagues, and a jolly fun fellow. The versatile Kyle Sapi is somewhere researching and producing our fine show. I'm Eric. Someone had a host. Everyone else was busy. On today's fine show, I guess we could go with a Star Wars theme, but Kyle unfathomably has never seen any of the movies, and uh, I'm not exactly... Uh, I mean, I've seen them all except the last one, but it's not really my thing. So, Tristan, oh, the floor is yours. You haven't seen the last one. you, you got to see them just to complete the set. It comes out today at Disney+. Plus. I heard – oh, good good plug. I will. Then I'll watch it today. I, I, uh, I'm I excited for it. <laughs> I mean, I like I would take my kids to movies and then fall asleep half hour in sometimes. You know, like little princess movies or Star Wars or wherever. Um, but what's your favorite Star Wars movie? Let's get to that. Oh, I'm one of the Empire guys. Empire Strikes Back is number one for me. It's a pretty easy race, too. Yeah, I mean, like, the ones that were early on, I remember seeing something in the theater. It might have been Empire Strikes Back. It might have been my first movie. And, um, but, like, the other one, I can't follow along what's happened. I sound like an old guy. Get off my lawn. But I can't follow. It goes forward. It goes backward. I don't know what it's going on. So, <laughs> so what's your favorite, then? It's still Empire? Yeah, I mean, the first one. The first one was, what, 77? Um, yep. and Empire was what eighty. Empire so, was eighty. Uh, Jedi was eighty three. Yeah, don't yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> it's probably it's 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 always the earlier ones. I mean, like, look, I think baseball was better in the seventies and eighties too. So, like, it's just different how I view things. Except for the bunting, that's the one thing we don't miss is the bunting <laughs> in baseball. You know, um, my uh, my out of left field Star Wars reaction is I wish that they would stop movies and start doing uh, more series like The Mandalorian. I thought The Mandalorian was excellent. The Mandalorian, Mandalorian. Yeah, and I'm, <laughs> I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't wear my Mandalorian socks today. Shame on me. I'll have to put them on a little later today. It's actually warm today. We don't need socks. Um, what are we going to discuss on today's show? Tristan wrote something. We should discuss that. Um, he, what did you write? Let's see here. What did oh, I write? Playbook inning five, roster oh. optimization. Yeah. Definitely We're five, that. five of the nine innings through the playbook. Uh, yep, there'll be another one coming out on Thursday. We've got nine in total. And at this point, we're up to the intermediate strategies. And uh, we will get to that in a second. We'll also get to the latest news in the simulations on Baseball Reference, which is out of the park 21. I finally found out what happened to Scott Kingery. Somebody on Twitter tweeted me and said, Kingery was demoted to the minors, <laughs> which – Makes no sense to me. It's not like he was struggling at the plate. But Yara Munoz, who is currently a member of the Red Sox, but is playing third base for the Phillies, had a three-home run game over the weekend. Somebody else pointed out to me, so maybe I'd rather have him than Kingery. I, I don't think so. Um, we'll get to the Sims. It is a little bit weird. And, and you know what? I, I'll get to what I think about them overall. But let's get your trivia out of the way first. What do you got? Oh, my trivia. Trivia that Eric won't No, no, he will not know the answer to this. I got to tell you, man, you're singing like nothing good has come from the last six weeks of this world. But your singing, singing. singing has gotten much better. Like you're a real ace here. You're, you have become the, the Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer of singing here. I, I don't want to say that you weren't good before, you know, like back in like March. But now you've raised your game to another level. You really have. I'm not even joking. I, I hope the people on Twitter that listen to the show are like, yes, Tristan, you do a great job. Your, your openings, your singing openings have become magical. You got me. I said on my, my first hammock day was last week, first day without rain. It was sunny outside. I actually listened to Stone Temple Pilots because you opened the show last week with STP. And all of a sudden I'm tripping and listening and all of a sudden it's cool. So I got to give you credit, dude. Your song work is magical. That was a quality, sneaky STP drop right in there. Mm, well That's done. That's my, my favorite STP song, I have to Tripping say. on a hole in a paper heart? I think it is. Yeah. Is that a problem? No, I think that's one of their most underrated songs. I mean, they have more popular songs, but like, 
my favorite songs of every band are not necessarily the most popular ones. I got to tell you, like, they're like, like Zeppelin, hey, what can I do? That's not one of their top songs. You know, like, that's not my, maybe not my favorite one, but like, I don't even like, like on, what is it called? A Spotify. I don't go to listen to Star- Stairway to Heaven anymore because I've heard it so many times. It's like, I can't listen to it anymore. Yep. Or Bob O'Reilly or, you know, Stones songs that you hear all the time. I like some, like I was listening to Rocks Off by the Stones. I'm like, that is a really good underrated song that you don't hear ever on the radio. I'm like, that rocks, you know, so to speak. Anyway, yes, the tripping on the whole heart thing. That's, yeah. I think I listened to like, I don't know, like an hour of STP and I was like, what are we doing right now? Okay. Uh, we're just wasting we're, we're time. Talking, we're talking tiny music. Gotta love it. Tiny, tiny music songs from the Vatican gift shop. If I remember what's the to- total name of that. Like, I don't even know if anybody has a problem with us riffing for five minutes about something else. I, I don't even know who's listening. It but is if you are, life, you. I think we've got to enjoy that. And thank you for the nice music statements there. I mean, of course, the bar was really low, like beneath my basement floor and raising it up any higher. By contrast, I get it. You know, it's still awfully terrible, but challenge no, me. No, I, it is not terrible. People it should challenge me. Give me give me a theme of something I should sing an intro for. You know, watch out if you, if you dare. And if nobody well, tweets me, I'll know nobody likes it. We should note that thir- so last Thursday's show with June Lee, who's an awesome writer for ESPN, writes baseball. Really good guy. The fact that he's half my age is not relevant. But he did. we talked about the movie Major League on last Thursday's show. And this Thursday, it's going to be The Natural. And, you know, I might have to watch it again. It's not my favorite baseball movie. It's okay for me. Um, but we'll talk about it more on Thursday's show. But I think we're going to do that every Thursday because the reaction was very good internally at ESPN and also, I think, on Twitter. Um, so do you have like a – a song you can sing for Thursday that has to go with the natural. Like maybe there's like, it doesn't have to be for the movie. It could be, I don't know, somebody STP or ABBA or somebody that has a song that was with natural in it. You can do whatever you want. I don't know. My, oh my, God. How is the first one that comes with natural to mind is uh, folk implosions, natural one, which by the way, a terrible album, one song off a terrible album. And that one wasn't really all that great. That, that one single, I don't know. I'll think, I'll think of something. All right. Well, you want to think of trivia for now so we can oh. move it along? Yes, I'll, I'll give you the trivia question. We'll answer it later, and maybe at the end, depending on how much time we have, I'll uh, I'll be testing Mr. Kyle Soppy's uh, Star Wars knowledge, of which he has zero. This um, can't this can't possibly go awry. Not in the slightest. We'll no. work on making sure we run out of time for it. The trivia question for today is: I'd like you guys to name the one, two, three, four, five active players, or and they're all pitchers. Five active pitchers who have had a forty-five point game using ESPN's uh, standard scoring. Five pitchers have reached the 45-point threshold in a game and are active players. They were in spring training camps. Some of them you know well. I want you to name the five. In their career. We're not talking just 2019? They have one on their resume, a 45-point game, and they are active pitchers. What's that point system? It's not game score. No, ESPN standard point scoring. So five for a win. Oh, for fantasy. Yeah. And my apologies, one of them, I skipped over it. It is six of them. It's not five. It's six of them. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six players active, 45 points. Six players. Well, maybe in five minutes it'll go up to seven. Um, (laughs) I just threw one. Hey, no, good for you. Let's get to today's uh, lead, which is your playbook inning five roster optimization. And people, if you're not reading Tristan's work at ESPN's Fantasy Baseball page, you really ought to because his playbook is fantastic. It will help you win your leagues. And I have to admit that and certainly one of our pals uh, it has noted to me that a strength of mine is drafting, but, but in-season roster movement is not. And maybe that's because I just get lazy and don't feel like doing anything. So let me ask you, and, and that's a fair point that he's made, and you know exactly who I'm talking to, or talking about. He once climbed into his window in his house after a vacation. He pulled um, into his own home. Yep, on the return home. Yep, he did that. And he—I he, don't even know if he's listening. I don't even oh, know. He's listening. At some point, he'll be listening, and he'll be pointing this out. So, uh, but anyway, he points out that one of my weaknesses in labor is that I have teams that can win and I never win. He thinks it's because I don't make enough trades. I'm not uh, aggressive with my fab budget. So, I'll tell you what I do with my fab budget and labor. I tend to wait until. Somebody comes across league and then try to get them that way. Um, last season, I actually was aggressive. I think it was what Pil- Kevin Pilar, and I spent like forty of my hundred dollars right away. That was the right move there. So, how do you? How aggressive are you when it comes to free agent average? Uh, your free agent budget 
Uh, are you a guy who likes to spend it right away? Do you wait? Do you spend a dollar on a backup AL catcher when your catcher gets injured, or do you just not fill the spot? What do you do with Fab? So I t- I try to take an aggressive approach. It all depends when the player is available. In fact, one of the key takeaways, at least from my perspective in this column, was I put together a chart suggesting the rough breakdown percentage-wise of your yearly FAB budget you should be spending by week of the season. And of course, you can't adhere to this. In week one, it's got a very high percentage. It was over 10%. Uh, If there's nobody available in week one, so be it. Maybe it's week two. But I try to find a premium player in the month of April, especially if it's in a mixed league. If I'm in the leagues that, Eric, you're referring to, the AL and NL-only leagues, I'm going to keep a larger amount for those trade deadline players. But I try not to leave myself so much funds. If I have a $100 uh, cap for the year, I'll try to keep somewhere in the range of $40 to $60 of that for the trade deadline. The danger is if you wait, if you hoard fab for the trade deadline, is that you get a year like 2013 where nobody switches leagues. And then what are you going to do? You're going to be bidding tons of money on guys who are going to give you six weeks of eh, borderline production. One of my fears is being embarrassed in a league. And if you hoard your fab budget and then you're sitting there in late in mid-August and you still have $80 with nothing to spend it on, to me, that's embarrassing. So you don't want to do that because then you've you know you've spent your money wrong. If you hoard your $80 in August and on July 30th, if you buy J.D. Martinez being traded to Arizona or you Darvish, you can win the league. But there's not may not be enough time for you to make up ground in the categories. Tell me how, how it uh, differs for an only league and a standard mixed league in which there are tons of options available. How, how does the fab differ there? Are you more likely to like upgrade uh, a spot whereas a guy, your fifth outfit might not be that bad? Or are you likely to wait? Um, I, I mean, there isn't one concrete answer to this. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to pull two examples that you and I both had, where in only leagues, premium names came across the, the free agent list, and you and I were aggressive. One of those was, I, I believe it was Milton Bradley for you in the first week of the year, he was traded into the league. For me, it was David Wright when he got uh, promoted by the Mets in his rookie year. Uh, you and I both got those players. We did a large amount of our fab early in the season, got those players, and they ended up being smart moves. Now, now, you know, you could you could quibble about what those what Bradley did, for example. He had some very good stretches. He missed time with injuries and the like. But I like the idea that you were aggressively going after a premium player. And in Wright's case, I knew nothing about what he was going to perform at the at the major league level. And I spent, I think it was eighty of my hundred dollars, got him. And I think that's the right move. Um, the other key tip I threw in there is that if you think the player is somebody you want to get and you come to a number, you come to a final fab number that you're going to bid on that player, add a dollar to it. And in fact, if you have to, add two or three dollars to it. If you want that player, get the player. You need to get impact players. You need to turn in an investment on your fab. It's not about getting the key name. It's about getting production for your fab dollars. Milton Bradley was traded from Cleveland to the Dodgers on April 3rd, 2004. Gave me 19 homers, 15 steals. 267 batting average. So that was definitely worth it. I became one of my better players. Um, is there a strategy to fab bidding? Uh, do you go 29 or $30? Like, do you think that people have like a bias when it comes to, yeah, I'll spend 29, but I won't spend 30. Uh, you do subscribe to that? I think there is a bias. I think a lot of people think of, I don't want to spend anything on this player. So I'm going to bid one. And I think in later years or more recent years, for example, uh, people have realized that, oh, you know what? A lot of people are just going to bid one. This guy's not all that special. I'll bid two. And then everybody else thinks, well, you know what? People are going to think I'm going to bid one, so they're going to bid two, so I'll bid three. My suggestion is vary your bidding. There are $1 players, and the $1 players are the ones you are not upset to lose the bid on. If you're not afraid of losing the player, you have, for example, five players you judge as just about equal. Put in your list of five players with $1 fab bids for each. And then if you lose on them, the system is telling you who you get. If you care about that player, throw a $4 bid or a $6 bid or a $2 bid. Vary it so people cannot figure out your bidding tendencies. Figuring out your bidding tendencies is not a good thing. It's going to make it very easy to predict. I, for a while, threw $8 bids on anybody meaningful, and then it would be easy for people to determine to bid nine. Don't do that. Don't let people. Uh, get a window into your thinking. Excellent point. And uh, last year was the first time in a long time in NL labor only, which is the USA Today, Steve Gardner run leagues, uh, in which I spent my money early. I spent like 40 on Kevin Pillar. I also spent on like three or four players that nobody had heard about in April. 
I spent two or three or four dollars just to make sure I got them in case they were good. One of them was Brian Reynolds of Pittsburgh, who was very good, almost won the batting title. So the other two probably didn't do anything, but that three dollar bid where everybody was like, Why are you wasting your money to fill a DL spot? It worked out great. Um briefly That's- on trade. Go ahead. That's, that's the, the thing in the mixed leagues where you're now granted yours was an NL only, but in a mix that or was that top mixed? That was top mixed. No, right? that was NL labor. That, that was, was NL, NL labor. labor. Okay. Yeah. So if it was, a, let's say he, he would have Brian Reynolds been out there in the tout mix or in any typical mixed league. This is why I suggest there are no league changing players. July is not all that relevant from a player pickup standpoint. If you haven't spent effectively 50% of your budget by mid May, I think you're doing it wrong. I think that's where all the premium pickups are coming. And by the way, I just thought of it. What are we going to do this season? Say, say they play half a season. Do we still get the same amount of fab budget, $100 or whatever your league does, or do you chop it in half? I mean, how do we – and then what's the trade deadline going to be? How does that work? And are teams going to even be trading at the deadline? Like, who are the sellers? Is it just like Detroit and Baltimore or uh, Kansas City? I, it's going to be really interesting this season to see how leagues – and we're going to have to discuss what we want to do as well – whether you want to have, if it's a hundred dollar budget in a full season, is it a fifty dollar budget in half a season, or do you leave it alone? I I don't know what I want. I'm going to reiterate the point that you and I have both made that I think that the wisest, safest, smartest, simplest system for everybody is to do a total points for the year league, no matter what your format. Just for this year, if it is a hundred games or beneath, it's too short a year. There's going to be too many quibbling over the little rules, making the adjustments. And we might not have time by the time the, the announcements are made. I, I just think it's simpler. How are we going to do a head-to-head league? I, I don't I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do any league. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I'm hoping there's a season, of course. I want to see baseball. But I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. But I agree with you. Points leagues are the way to go. Um, briefly, uh, because you mentioned this in your article, trades. Uh, you say they're often overrated. But a good strategy is essential. Could you sum that up for us? I, I think there's this mentality for fantasy managers that you need to win all your trades and you have to win them handily and you need to approach them with that attitude. And I think that is wrong. I think it is a failure system. I think it merely uh, identifies the weaker managers in your league or the ones who can be more easily convinced. And I think you should only be looking at trades to improve yourself. I, I feel like it's one tool in the toolbox to help you win but I really do think fab is the way that you win, at least in a competitive league. All right, let's move it along now to the talk about the Sims. And people have been asking me on Twitter, do I really buy what the Sims are you know, shoving at us? And, and, and even my wife said to me, why is this guy doing this? And why is and I'm playing in a league, as you know, in which my team was just ravaged by injuries. I had three infielders in the past week who took a ball off their throat and went on the DL. This is in Dynasty League Baseball. And I didn't have any infielders left, so I had to play Reese Hoskins at second base in a game because I didn't have anybody else to play the position. And I said, look, what I said to my wife is, and I'll say this to, to the show, if you, play, if you sim something out 100 times, you're going to get all kinds of different stuff. Okay, Maybe 50% of the time you get normalcy, but sometimes you would get something where Jose Peraza is currently leading the league in batting on the sims on baseball reference which obviously in real life we don't expect will happen. But over a 36-game sample for right now, he's playing every day for Boston, and he's batting 380-something. So it can happen. So people say to me, do they matter? They remove bias. That's the first thing. I think they're they're removing injuries. It looks like Kingery is demoted, not injured. What do we miss in our projections? When I look at the leaderboards here, I actually do say to myself, did I miss something? Am I not treating this player the way I should? Now, it's only, like I said, a, a quarter of the season so far. But we talked about Miguel Rojas in the past. He's second in the in the league in war, according to this. Now, some of that's defense. But Tommy Edmonds on base percentage is second to Trout. And that's really good. Is Tommy Edmonds really this good? In fact, in my sim on Dynasty League Baseball, they pinch hit. I bring in Hector Neris, my closer. Paul Goldschmidt's up with two on. It's a big situation, and they pinch hit Tommy Edmond for Paul Goldschmidt against the righty, and of course he hits a three-run homer and I lose the game. And I was thinking, wow, well, why was Edmond not starting? But also in the sim, he's doing great. So I'm looking at these numbers and saying, all right, what did I miss here? 
When you look at these sims, are you saying anything or is it just fun for you? It's a little more fun, but it's I, I like what the Sims are are doing in terms of raising questions. They're they're reiterating some of the lessons about regression to the mean. Um, the, Kyle, you wrote this on the note, and I'm I'm still kind of amazed by this. Justin Turner is eight for eight on stolen bases. Justin Turner speed. That, that seems a little bit odd. Yeah, I, well, but it reminds us about the fact that weird things happen in baseball. They happen in The Sims, and they happen in reality, and we need to engage the idea that anything can happen in this game. And sometimes it's fine to chase the unusual hot starts, the fluky results. That is just part of this game. It's the part that we can't control and we can't predict. But the other two is, as you said, it. This is showing us some things that we might not have realized otherwise. We've talked about some players who their strikeout rates aren't especially good compared to what we thought. Uh, you know, how are projections built? Uh, I, I think that's another thing that it's giving us good uh, reminders of the lessons of. I actually affect, I moved around some players in my rankings because of this. And you're going to say, well, maybe not you, but you collectively are going to say, that's ridiculous, Eric. These are just a sim. But I, I didn't even have Jose Peraza on my board. I hadn't even thought about him. Or Miguel Rojas, and I moved him into the rankings. Not in my top 100, but when I went into the rankings, we all had to remove Trey Mancini. We hope he gets better, but he's not going to play this season. But I, I, re, I rejiggered some stuff. You know, Rick Porcello, I, I hadn't thought of him as being okay, but he's really good right now. He's pitching well. Carlos Carrasco is pitching well. Maybe I was underrating him. Um, Madison Bumgarner. Anyway, some guys are getting saves, like your Jairo Diaz uh, projection there. Cattell Marte. Um, I think everybody assumes regression. And when I'm looking at the simulated season here, he ain't regressing, Tristan. He, he's putting up major numbers. He's uh, leading the league in doubles. He's uh, batting threes. I don't know. Some, I, last I looked, he was oh, 358, which is third in the league. And uh, he's doing some nice stuff here. Not stealing bases. But have we ranked – if Cattell Marte is available in round four or five, is that wrong? I don't think it's wrong. I think it's good value. I think so if it's good value, then we're ranking him wrong. If if everybody thinks that that's a good value, if everybody thinks it's a good value, then we should move him up. If everybody's pushing him to fiftieth overall or outside the top fifty, then yes, then we are all making a mistake. If he's falling eight to ten spots beneath ADP in a few individual leagues, then I would define it as good value. I think this is. Simply a reminder, the fact that he's had success here, that, yeah, he could repeat it. He had an unusual year, but he did make some very key adjustments. He's going to play regularly. He's in a pretty decent ballpark for hitters. What if he does repeat it? It's a full year of performing this well. Right. And I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be like doing this show in September and saying that I'm surprised that Katam Marte did improved on last year. He can improve on what he did last year, is my that, point. That would be tough to do. You, you think I, I wouldn't call it likely he's going to repeat on or improve on last year. I don't think it's likely either. But I think when, when, when the fantasy baseball community all thinks something, generally it's wrong. Like when it's so unanimous that this guy has to step back and regress, it's the same when fantasy football as well. Like we say, oh, this guy can't possibly do that again. And then he does it. And then it becomes his baseline. I feel like Ketel Marte is like the poster boy for, well, if we if everybody thinks he's going to regress and then he doesn't, then we were all wrong. So maybe we're viewing him wrong is one of the things. No, like nobody thinks that um, Houston's DH, uh, Henderson Alvarez, not Jordan Alvarez is going to regress. Why are we all assuming that one guy will and the other guy won't? Yeah, I mean, you have to approach each one individually. I, 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 it's not something you just apply to everybody universally. Um, the, the one area in which the groupthink is correct in the industry is the pitcher who overachieves with so-so skills. And the first that come to mind are Shelby Miller that year, uh, Trevor Williams that year, Cal Freeland that year. We were all on board with the idea that these are not good pitchers who are not going to repeat fantasy success, and they did not the next year. But then, we're, of course, still love that year. You forgot one. Rick Porcello yeah, no, had two years. He had okay. two years. Where, well, Go yeah, ahead. the Cy Young year. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, all right, so let me ask you about Aaron Nola because his numbers right now in the simulation are kind of bad. Uh, ERA of 454, whip is high. And, you know, I, I feel he's got a lot of strikeouts per inning, 49 and 39 and two-thirds innings. 
But he was amazing in 2018, like Cy Young worthy. Obviously, there was someone who was better. But last year, he wasn't very good, 387 ERA. So maybe the simulation is right on. How do you view him? Because, you know, we've talked a lot about Lance Lynn on this show, how I'm buying and maybe everybody else isn't. Aaron Nola's numbers look a lot like Lance Lynn. High ERA and whip, high whip, a lot of strikeouts. But Aaron Nola's going in the top 20 among starting pitchers, and Lance Lynn's going like 35th. Is Lynn going that late? I'm trying to think. I, I definitely sold myself on him with the research early in the offseason. Um, when I look at – this is the, the only part that's frustrating me about the Sims is that I can't look at them in the context I would a real season on sites like Fangraphs and even ours or Baseball Reference where they show things like FIP, BABIP, left on base percentage. You can't right. easily ex, uh, extract that. So in Nola's case, I look at 39 and two-thirds innings. Four home runs. He's got walk and strikeout per nine rates that are effectively like he has during his uh, his entirety of his career. And in fact, as a matter of fact, he, he's better in terms of the walk rate and by a decent amount. So what I ask is, would this be a guy who has a 330 FIP and has just been really unlucky so far? This is one of those studies where I say weird things happen. Is he just being unlucky in the sim? And that's fair. And you're right. Like when Madison Baumgartner had like an ERA under one a month into the season, and we're like, "All right, that's crazy." And now it's still it's it's one point three eight, which is higher, but still great. But we have no idea. Did he have two road games in San Diego and San Francisco as he avoided Coors Field? I think the Phillies did play in Coors Field. At least I did in my sim, and I think we're following the same schedule. So it's possible that Nola gave up ten runs in that outing, and I just didn't look at it closely. So that's something to consider. I just I, I want to be. I want to be um, open to the fact that I'm a Phillies fan and maybe I'm overrating Aaron Nola, who you have 16 and you have Lance Lynn 32. If they're the same player, Nola is a terrible value. That's my point. It's And that's a fair point. I, I like the pro Lynn and the anti-Nola cases. I think they are important ones to discuss. 29.3% strikeout rate, though, in the sim for Nola. I mean, that's, that's good. I'd love to see him do that in reality. I'll be on board uh, if that's what we get. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Let me see if there's anyone else here that I want to discuss. I don't want to talk about saves too much because that's an opportunity stat. Will Smith is tied for the league lead in saves with 10, but I still think Mark Melanz is going to get him. Uh, I want to ask you something about opportunity here because when you mentioned Peraza, I want to return to that, and it ties to saves. Why are you moving Peraza up? Because I hadn't considered the fact that he was going to be not only a regular player for Boston – and it looks like he is. I guess they're playing him at second base because Michael Chavis isn't playing. But Peraza in the past was somebody who we, I don't want to say we liked or coveted, but we thought once upon a time that Peraza was capable of, I want to say, about 280 with 25 steals. Like, he didn't do that the last couple of years. But we thought that he he stole 20 bases in three consecutive seasons, Tristan. So And one of them he barely played. So he has skills here that we did not consider for this year. If Boston really plays him every day and gives him the equivalent of a 500 PA season, he can steal 20 bases in a season where maybe five guys are going to steal 30. So that's why I moved Peraza into my rank. He's not high, probably like 250 or 280 or something. But as your last guy, your middle infielder, if he's going to play every day, maybe even bat first, yeah. Oh, gosh. That's my point. I hope he doesn't bat first. He'd be an awful leadoff man for them. Um, of course, he doesn't walk, he doesn't get on base, but not everybody thinks that that's important. I, <laughs> I, you know? I, and I, what I, I, what you said what I wanted to hear, which is the, the prospect of playing time. I think the case for Peraza is heavily based on playing time and the likelihood that he gets 500 plate appearances, he is getting to 20 stolen bases or potentially beyond that. The issues with him are not a disciplined discipline player. He swings at a lot of non-strikes. Uh, contact rate is great. The quality of contact is especially poor. This is a guy who gets hard contact maybe 20% of the time. So I'm not a fan. I'm just saying if he's going to play, like, again, the simulation might be playing guys that they shouldn't be playing. Maybe Michael Chavis is a better player, but maybe Boston wouldn't play him. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to think of holes in my rankings. There's definitely a path by which Peraza falls into the everyday second base job for the Red Sox. Absolutely dead on there. All right, let's move on off the sim, and maybe we'll get back to that next Monday, and I'll bring in our pal Kyle here to get to some of the hash browns that we have for the day. Kyle, what have we got today? 
Yeah, John hit us up on Twitter, and he wants to know if he can get a player comp for Nick Madrigal. Contact quick guy. Yeah, he's a very he. I think he's going to be end up being overrated in fantasy. Is my is my immediate thought. It's that this is a guy who's going in for average, major contact. He's almost like Martin Prada, but with even less power, but more speed. So how many how many middle infielders right now are like Madrigal? I could see him batting three hundred in the majors. Never walks, never strikes out, but no power at all. Like Keith Law says, there's just no power in this guy's game. He's not going to do it. Um, but and his stolen base out. Like it, last year at AAA, he didn't play a whole season there. He had four steals and three caught. So I don't think he's a twenty steal guy either. I, I view Madrigal as a little. I had a chance to draft him in my expansion draft of my sixteen team league, and I, I, I just I'm not considering him as one of my keepers because. Even if the White Sox call him right right away, I don't think he's going to help a fantasy team in anything but batting average. Now he might be a better leadoff hitter than Tim Anderson, might have a much higher on base percentage. But again, there's no there's no knowing if the manager even believes that. So, man, that's a hard comp. Yeah. Who is like that now that has absolutely no power? That's the, yeah. the, the absolutely no power is the hard part of getting the comp because the guys that come to mind is in terms of elite contact hit tool and speed are guys like Altuve and Pedroia, and that's not who he is. It's like Gerard Dyson. He, he could be Gerard Dyson, I guess. No power, speed. He's a better player. He's going to hit for a better batting average, but you tell me. Like, it's not D. Gordon. Who is this? It's it's kind of – I mean, you know, the other I, I threw a quick query in the, the play index to try and get this, and, and Luis Castillo came up, but that's not a good comp either. Um, Ben Revere comes up, but that's not a great comp either. Montpierre. This is a tough one. I, I don't Pierre might one. work. Montpierre actually might work, but not as many steals. Way too much speed compared to, I think Madrigal's a 25 steal, 300 average, 380 on base guy. I think he's going to be very useful, but there's nothing else in his game. It's going to be really tough for me to draft Madrigal in leagues this year or next year, because I don't think you can go without power. You have to have some power, even if it's like Trey Turner power or Tommy Edmond power. You have to have some power, and I don't think Madrigal is going to do that. Let's move on next. Let's go with another young guy. Ryan's curious about Casey Mays and if you think he gets a shot in the shortened season or if he doesn't, what do you think his expectations are for 2021? That's Casey Mays, the uh, number one pick by the Tigers, who we think is going to be a, a – he was the first pick of the 2018 draft, I believe, uh, a a – strong, not tall, but strong right-hander with strikeout stuff. And what is your thought here on what the Tigers do? We don't talk about the Tigers very much. It's a terrible team. They're going to lose the equivalent of a 100-game season. So, like, if they play half a season, they could go, like, 20 and 60. They could be that bad. I wonder if they will call up some of these kids, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, uh, Scooball. But I don't know. I mean, like, They've got some good talent here. I'm not sure why they would waste it in a half a season. I don't think I want to draft Casey Mize for 2020. I don't think I do either, especially the smaller the season gets. Uh, Great prospect, and if he gets called up, it's just because he's very good, and among their prospects, he's the, quote, most ready. But he had that shoulder issue mid-year, and it really derailed what was an otherwise very good season. And he was pretty darn awful after he returned. He had three just brutal outings in Double A out of his six. Once he returned. how do you um, how do you pick and choose between pitching prospects? I mean, everybody tells us who the great ones are. You know, uh, Mackenzie Gore and Nate Pearson and Spencer Howard. We talk about these guys a lot, but when it comes to Tigers, do you not invest because they are Tigers? And also, when it comes to, I do look like in our sim leagues. I look at prospects and I say, if he's 6'5", 220, and he's built, I think there's less of a chance he would get hurt as opposed to a guy like Mize, who's only six foot, like 190. So I do kind of like like morph a little bit towards the taller, better built pitchers. Do you do that or does it not matter to you? I, I actually don't put an awful lot of weight in size. By the way, Casey Mize listed on Baseball Reference, 6'3", 220. All right, so maybe he's bigger. Than, he's listed on Rotowire as only six foot, so something's yeah. wrong. There's um, there, there's often some classification issues there. So yeah, I mean, I I think of him as an average to above average size. Um, so I thought he was bigger than that. All right, yeah, but I don't six three two twenty sounds a little generous too, though. Um, 
I only would fade the guys on the Tigers. You're picking on them here. There are a lot of teams like this. Uh, in, in that, if if a team's not competitive, why start the service time clock? And in Mize's case, just because of the shoulder issue, unless they are convinced that he's ready, healthy, and good to go and going to give them elite production, why call him up at all this season? I'm not talking about that so much. Let's look, take out opportunity. Talk but about a bad matters. team. Okay, but if, if Mackenzie Gore is your example. You've used it all year. Opportunity matters. If the Padres stink, why call up Mackenzie Gore? All right, let, let's, let's, let's say we're talking in February 2021. Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Mackenzie Gore – I can't think of a Baltimore pitching prospect. All these guys are in the majors. We're expecting 25 starts from all of them. Yep. Do you fade Tigers, Royals, um, Orioles starting pitchers because they're on really bad teams? That's the point I want to make. No. I would. By the way, I would go Gore, Mize, Manning if they were both up on open or all three up on opening day. I would consider fading the Orioles based on Mike. Now, granted, it's a it's a different. Group, you know, different management group for them now, GM, scouting, whatever, than it was before. But the Orioles have had some trouble developing prospects. But more importantly, I'm bothered by the ballpark, and I am bothered by the division for those guys. So I would slightly fade them. So it's not because they're a bad team. It's because of the situation is the situation is a little bit more challenging there. I like Gore because he is in a reasonably favorable ballpark. Coors Field is the big issue in the division. Yeah, well, National League also is a difference. So, like, Marlins young starting, pit, young prospect pitching, I'm much more likely to take a Marlin in that ballpark and that league than I am a Tiger. Right. All right, next. Randy wants you to take a look back here and see what fantasy season by a single player most stands out in your memory and why. The greatest fantasy seasons, obviously, with the GOAT project that we did on ESPN. Tristan and I were part of it. Tristan did well. I did poorly. No surprise there. Um the, the first season that comes to mind for me is the Eric Davis season. I wasn't even playing fantasy back then. I was like a teenager, but 27 homers, 80 steals. The next year, 30 and 50, monster numbers. The Ricky Henderson season where he stole a million bases. What was he, 130 steals? That, like, monster numbers. I just started, like, with baseball cards. And I remember the Mike Schmidt 48 home run season when the Phillies won it all in 1980. I was, I was growing up then. I loved that. I, I, you know, like, I wasn't playing at the time, but the Juan Samuel, nobody ever talks about him because he, he didn't, he wasn't a walker or a defender. But man, he had some fun seasons for the Phillies. He had a 28 homer, 100 RBI, 35 steal season. Again, not the best fantasy numbers for the period. I mean, Larry Walker in 87, isn't that the year he just went nuts and, and put up, he and Ellis Burks. Um, I don't know. What's what's your uh, the Pedro Martinez season for pitchers? What was it? Ninety nine, two thousand. He was like Pedro Martinez had a season with an ERA two full runs better than anybody else in the American League. Like he had like a one eighty ERA and second was like a three eighty ERA. Right? Was that ninety nine? I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, it was. It was pretty absurd. As a matter of fact, that was the era where Pedro sold for fifty dollars, and I think he was uh, the opening Worth bid to crickets. At fifty bucks, Pedro in two thousand in labor. Yeah, he had a one seventy four ERA in two thousand. So, Eric, you you brought up one of the great trivia questions from our our good friend uh, Chris Liss of Rotowire. Uh, he he constantly asks this trivia as to who are the only two players in history to ever bat at least three forty with forty homers, hundred and twenty five RBI, thirty steals, and hundred and forty runs. You name them, they were Ellis Burks and Larry Walker. And the Burks one in 96 for the Rockies is the one that I, I really just <laughs> registers for me. This is a guy who played 103 games the year before in Colorado, batted 266, 14 homers and seven steals. And then all of a sudden he's at 344, 40 and 32. I remember the Ricky Henderson 85 year with the Yankees where I remember the run scored rate was absurd. They were just playing the Tom Seaver 300th win during that year and pointing out the rate of runs versus games played. That'd be tough to rep uh, repeat. It's how Don Mattingly got to 145 RBI the same year. One of my favorite Mattingly years, 85. Just love that Yankee offense. And I also, from just the storyline, the storytelling for fantasy aspect, I still love the Johan Santana 2004. He was a non-factor entirely in fantasy until about Memorial Day. And then he was Easily the best pitcher in baseball in a hitting-friendly era. So in 1999, Pedro had a 1.74 ERA, and Roger Clemens was second with a 3.70. If you had Pedro, you won ERA in WHIP. 
That's unbelievable that he did that. In comparison to everybody else, okay, yes, DeGrom could have an ERA at 174, but so could Kershaw. Like, that year, two full runs better? It's unbelievable to me. Anyway, those those uh, seasons jump out to me. And Look, I, I, I grew up as a Phillies fan, so the Von Hayes, again, wasn't a fantasy all-star. But Von Hayes had a year. I think he was like the tallest player ever to lead the league in runs scored. He's like six foot five. He led the league in runs scored in '86 with 107 doubles with 46. He always got on base. Like I remember appreciating Von Hayes' game growing up. I wanted to be like him. I batted left-handed as well, and I had no power. But that's he was fun. That was me growing up. You know, I don't. You know, in the in the steroid era, I don't remember all the great offensive seasons because there were so many you couldn't differentiate them. Last question here comes from Matt. He wants to know what Tristan's plans are for Star Wars Day today. I'm the only one allowed plans today. I could have plans. Eric could have plans, but none of it's Star Wars related. I'm going to clean out my garage and hum the Star Wars theme, I think, is my plan. Well done. No, that works. That works. I was working on that yesterday, actually. Um, Definitely. I'll call my dad and say, you are my Faja. I don't know. (laughs) Faja. (laughs) <laughs> Faja, a uh, little different movie there. Uh, another franchise in itself. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the company man. And saying, totally watching Rise of Star- uh, Skywalker tonight. Totally. On Disney Plus beginning tonight. Love it. Are uh, your kids into it? Yes. And they have not seen it yet. We did not get them into the theater to watch that. The time just did not work during when that was out. Um, yeah. Little, little hey, let me ask you a question. It has nothing to do with baseball. Yep. So... Say your kids, you know, your kids are younger, obviously, than mine. And Kyle has no kids. Kyle is a kid. So do you still put them to bed at the same time? Like, say they were going to bed at, like, 9 o'clock or 8.30. Do you still put them to bed at the same time? Or do you let them stay up until, like, midnight? So one thing we've done, we've been doing regular movie nights. And last night was the first time I realized it was a beautiful day. The sun is out longer. It's actually really hard to do that knowing they have school the next morning at 8 8 a.m., and keeping them up until 10.30 watching a movie. So, you know, they were in bed at 10, probably somewhere between 10 and 10.30 last night, and I was a little bit worried about it. We'll see how they do at school today. But oh, yeah, wait, they're do- Oh, they're doing online school. Okay, right. They are, yeah. But, I mean, so, for example, I mean, we're probably going to have to start watching this movie because I think it was two hours and 20-something minutes. We'll probably have to start it by 7. You know, they're going to want to watch extras and whatever else. They'll probably ask us to watch a Clone Wars episode or something. I don't know. By the way, Kyle, last night's Jordan thing was unbelievable. We get better every time. I can't believe how honest these players are being. Not just Jordan, but – and I can't repeat some of the stuff that Horace Grant said. But unbelievable. Well, Horace Grant was kind of getting thrown under the bus too. So. And Isaiah Thomas, obviously nobody likes him. It's oh just unbelievable. Or Isaiah and Krause are like the big losers of the first six episodes. My wife um, hates Krauss and knew nothing about him coming into this and just finds him the, like, how can't you? As anything. How can't you? It's just unbelievable. I, and I knew some of this, but like, it's, and then watching the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center after the Sunday night, I've been doing that. It's fantastic. The guests he has on, he had Charles Barkley on last night and, I love Charles Barkley. It's so easy to forget how good Barkley was. Like, he's a personality now. And, like, you know, he is what he is. He's bigger now. But he was so good. He was the MVP one of those seasons. How did, like, Phoenix, like, did not – Phoenix should have won that title. They should have. They win game three. It's a completely different series. It's uh, – it was, I was too young to fully appreciate it. Like, it was going through, and I was kind of cognizant of what was happening. But watching all of this, the access that they have, like, in the locker room when they're talking about guarding this 19-year-old kid, Kobe Bryant, and they wouldn't call him by name. Like, it's – I don't know. I look forward to it every Sunday. I, I do like baseball. I like documentaries, and this is yeah. the best. But, like, if, if anybody listening to the show has a good documentary that I would enjoy that I could watch, like, for free while we're still stuck here for another two months, just tweet it along because I'm in. Like, I I've, I can't remember the doc- – I watch sports documentaries. I watch any documentary almost. Like, I've been watching, like, these interviews with, like – they just had an inter- – like Dan Rather just interviewed Don Felder of the Eagles. I was fixated on that. I love stuff like this now. Anyway, that's on something. Um, we're done for today. <laughs> trivia. Oh, trivia. Yeah. Trivia. Uh, you know what? This this question's way too much like 
like some of the other questions. Basically, you're just guessing at who has had a great game to me. Yeah, so you're guessing at who's had a great game. Six pitchers who are active who have had a game worth 45. Fans. I've only got like 17 guys written down. So that's it. Only 17. Gee, I, I, yeah, I ran out of space on my notepad. All right, who are the six guys? Eric, you want to go back and forth with one for one? Because all my guys are big names, so I know I don't have a Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a draft. Go ahead, Kyle. You go first. I'll take Kershaw. Kershaw is one of them. He had 47 on June 18th, 2014. I'll take Chris Sale. Chris Sale is incorrect. How is that possible? (laughs) Give me Corey Kluber. I can't even find where Sale's best game is. It's a little further down. Sale's had multiple games with like 17 strikeouts. Apparently gave up too many runs, I guess. Uh, Corey didn't get the win. You guessed Kluber, correct? Kluber. Corey Kluber did it in an interleague game on May 13th, 2015, facing the Cardinals at home. He got 46. He, yes. is, not, he is the only one of these who did not finish his game. Okay. Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer is correct, and you should know the game. It was the no-hitter at New York on October 3rd, 2015. Which was just on last week. They had, like, no-hitter day. It was pretty cool. That was the right, second we, best game in the Roto era since 1980 behind only Kerry. By the way, to give credit, that Dan Rowley does those interviews, I think, on Access TV, which and he does nice. He had like Blondie on. I wasn't all that interested in that, but he had Don Felder on. That was I, lo- I love the Eagles, the, the football team, and the rock group. Okay, next. All right, so we've got three. We're looking for three more. Me and Eric get two more guesses, then Tristan, spill your answers when we don't get them. I'll go Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is correct. He had 46 in Arizona Interleague, May 4th, 2018. Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is correct. September 1st, 2019 at Toronto, 45 points. That was his no-hitter. All right, so those are five obvious ones. So we're clearly missing one guy that's off the reservation somewhere. So Mad Bum, Price, Strasburg, Snell, all those guys are wrong. You are correct that they are wrong. Yeah. It's it's somebody like... Porcello or Oliver Perez. Oh my God, so Rick Porcello, we're ending this podcast two minutes ago. This individual did so in a home game against the San Diego Padres. He threw a three-hit shutout worth 16 strikeouts, did not walk anyone in this game. Tim Lincecum still active? No. (laughs) And he's not on this list. He wouldn't have gotten to 45 either. No clue. Somebody might have had a shirt of this individual at one point. I'm sure lots of people have a shirt of every player. I mean, like somebody right here. Yes. Might have had a, somebody right here might have had a shirt of this player. And Not he, Tyler Chatwood. No. Wrong person. I would have remembered that. <laughs> we talk about this individual and his varying role. Quite a bit over the years. Wait, oh, it was the Vince Velasquez game? It was the Vince Velasquez oh, game. Oh, man. Good yeah. call. I remember that game. How did he do that? It was early in the season where he hadn't even established his role. And he just blew away the pie. It was like an afternoon game against the Padres. Terrible lineup. I remember that game. And I was thinking, how can anybody do, do this well in a game and be so bad otherwise? Well, you remember yes. he was like he was throwing those dart and sliders and everything. I mean, he <laughs> it was just one of those fortunate days where they were not prepared for his stuff. Oh, I want to call this up now because I remember exactly like watching that game and thinking, "Why? How is this happening?" It's probably his first season with the Phillies, probably 2016. Let me look and make sure. Kyle, uh, I, should, I should try you on the Star Wars quotes in the meantime while he looks. Yeah, there it, it is. <laughs> second game. It was his second game of the season. It was a three-hitch shutout with nary a walk, 16 strikeouts. And not to demean what, you know, it was was a 1 o'clock Thursday game. So the Padres just wanted to get out of town. But the lineup they put out there that day, John Jay, Corey Spangenberg, Will Myers, Melvin Upton hit cleanup. Melvin Upton, not Justin. Derek Nars fifth against a righty. Jabari Blash was sixth. And then Alexi Amarista and Alexi Ramirez. That has to be one of the worst lineups you will ever see over the last five years. Padres put that out on April 14th of a day game. Now, maybe they had injuries and whatnot, but how uh, can- Now everyone's going to tweet us worst lineups they've seen in the past five years. Go ahead, report. But, like, the point is, that is by far the best game of Vince Velasquez this season. And, Career. Like, ever. And he followed it up by getting lit up by the Mets. Five runs and four and a third. Like, 
you look at some of these things, like I've been watching these no-hitters on MLB Network, and ESPN has been doing some stuff like this too. And like a guy throws a no-hitter, and I'm thinking, what do we do with him in fantasy? This next outing, he gives up eight runs. Not like only like Bud Smith types, but just like normal pitchers. It's like Mike Fire had a historic week and then dropped off the following week. Like it's hard to do it twice in a row. Do you or guys like the you Phil Humber, the, the Johan game? Oh, Phil Humber, yeah. I don't. People don't realize how bad Phil Humber was. He threw a perfect game. There's only like twenty of them in history. He threw a perfect game. You remember, that was not a strike to the last batter. It was the second strike, I think. Got a, a perfect really, game. It goes down in history as a perfect game. I know, but he got a really favorable call on that last hitter. He, he did. Phil Humber in, tw- in 2012, he finished with a 644 ERA. Yeah. And he threw a perfect and, and I was also, oh, in the second game of the season yeah. at Seattle, terrible lineup, just like Velasquez. His next outing, nine earned runs at home against Boston. Yep. And that's why, yeah, in a lot of these cases, I think people see it coming. You remember, though, with Johan Santana, since I mentioned it before, you remember when I wrote that piece about trade Johan Santana, you don't want him, you don't want him, and that yep. night he threw a no-hitter? Well, you didn't know his arm, was, his shoulder was going to fall off. I got, I got raked over the calls for it. I remember thinking, that is the double down, you should be using that to trade him, and he was a Absolutely. Disaster. That's the right call. He was a disaster yep. after that. You have to realize when you get raked over the coals for an article or something you say on the podcast, there are plenty of people who agree with us, but they don't make their voice heard. And Twitter is not where they make their voice heard. But the they point don't... is, remember, it's finding the premium time to sell the player. This goes back to our yeah, but Also, oh, like everybody is going to know who's going to buy after that. Nobody's oh, buying Phil Humber after that. I'll tell you that day. The feedback I got, there was unquestionably the ability to trade Johan Santana to sell high on him. There was no doubt. Right. Everybody wanted to do it. All right. Um, no, no, no. Nobody wanted to sell high. They believed in him because of the no-hitter. I believe in Buster Olney's uh, podcast. It's fantastic. He reaches out to former players and executives to give you a behind-the-scenes look at the game you know and love. That's the Baseball Today podcast, of which I used to be a host of. Make sure to check out Buster's most recent show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. This Thursday, our new pal June Lee will join us once again. Actually, check out his Twitter. He he dressed up in like uh, as like Darth Vader or something today. Um, we'll break down the natural on Thursday's show, and and also they did the guys at ESPN MLB coverage did a great job previewing the Korean Baseball League, which starts play or already has or whatever. Lots of former big leaguers. I love looking at that stuff. And it's like a team-by-team look and, like, great stats that you never knew. It's really interesting. I'm not going to watch the games. I don't even know how I could. But it's really interesting stuff there. Check out ESPN's MLB coverage and its fantasy coverage as well. We are done for today because I've lost my voice. We will be back on Thursday. Great job, as always, by Darth Tristan and Kyle Sapi. I am R2-D2 Eric. Please have an awesome week. Thank <laughs> you.